0: Welcome back to Education International, where we're to
1: the education Education International is committed to international education. Hello and welcome back to Ed Voices. My name is Mark Candela. In today's podcast, we will be talking about technical and vocational education and training. Tvet and how access to public free Tibet plays a crucial role in contributing to social justice and sustainable development. Tibet links to the labour market, however, make it particularly vulnerable to policies of commercialisation and privatisation, and its teachers are often faced with inadequate funding, infrastructure, inadequate salaries, support, and contracts. Education International's Research Coordinator, Martin Henry, will lead a discussion on the value and importance of TVET with four leading academics in the sector. Over to you, Martin.
2: I'd like to welcome you all to our TVET podcast. We're overjoyed to have the following academics presenting today. Gavin Moody is an adjunct professor at the University of Toronto, Canada and a joint author of two reports for Education International on TVET for social justice. Stephanie Matsaling Aleas is a Professor of Education and Research Chair at the Skills Development Centre for Researching Education and Labour, Wits University in South Africa. John Buchanan is a Professor of Discipline of Business Information Systems at the University of Sydney Business School in Australia. Lisa Wheelahan, as a professor at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto, Canada, holds the William G. Davis Chair in Community College Leadership. We're overjoyed to have this glittering array of world-leading TVET academics to lead our podcast on TVET. We did a number of sessions at the CIES conference this year and it produced some really interesting responses. So I'm gonna start with Gavin, and with the question, TVET is the most privatized and commercialized of all educational sectors. What does this do to the student experience, Gavin?
3: Well, I think um, it potentially, and as it turns out in practice, actually degrades it, um consistently whatever the form of privatization and whatever the extent of privatization and we have found in some countries that privatization leaves students vulnerable to exploitation and a really uh, degraded educational experience
2: Okay, great opening. Thanks, Gavin. We're going to pass to you now, Stephanie, in South Africa, who's going to give us your angle on the privatisation story.
4: Yeah, thanks, Martin. I think the tragedy of privatisation of vocational education is that on the one hand, as Gavin says, it leads to very degraded vocational education, although the belief behind those who push it is that it will make vocational education responsive. So it doesn't do that. It makes it weaker. But at the same time, what it does is it makes it harder for students to access so that governments are stuck in this very odd conundrum where they're on the one hand trying to encourage students to enroll for vocational education, which is often quite stigmatized, very much so in the African context where I work and yet students have to pay for it, which makes it harder for them to access it. Or they have, sometimes there are government funding schemes, but it still makes it difficult and cumbersome and complex for students to actually access something which governments ostensibly are trying to encourage students to access.
2: Okay, great, thanks Steph. And John, you're at the other end of the day over there in Sydney, so we're gonna move to you now. What's the privatization angle on
5: TVET? Look, I think the fundamental problem is uh, it creates a situation where people get into the market simply to make money. It's alleged to be pro-employer. It's alleged to be, you know, more responsive. But in fact, what it does is create an incentive structure where a whole lot of opportunists usually sweep in, make a lot of money and then move out. It's not good for employers and it's not good for students.
2: Okay, great. And Lisa? We're going to round off with you in the early morning in Canada. So if you can give us your angle.
0: Um, I think just building on what everyone else has said, it drives down quality because the emphasis is making profit and it reduces the relationship between the institution and the student and the teacher and the student to a transactional relationship rather than a uh, an educational relationship. And it narrows the focus of the education that students are receiving to just that which they're purchasing and not the broader development of the student in the context of their occupation so i think that there's lots of other problems with it but i think that that um all of us have touched on different aspects of keep, of the key problem
2: excellent so it's very clear to us that privatization and tv do not work together and governments must get them to a position where they are supporting a stronger TVET backbone in order to make sure that we have better opportunities for all of our students. And that takes me to the next question, which is really linked to the point you've already raised about exploitation, about opportunist approaches, about transactional relationships. And that is, and this came up at CIES in really Stunning fashion in our last last panel. What role should TVET play in the world, and what is the link between school and work, and how does TVET do more than it does at the moment? I'm going to move up the order this time, and we're going to start with John, Gavin, and then we're going to Fanny, and then we're going to go Lisa.
5: John. Hi. Look, I think if you want. TVET to do more, you've got to see it in a labour market perspective and it can only do more if employers are more actively engaged. And if there are problems in TVET at the moment, it's not so much a problem with the educators or, you know, public sectors being unresponsive. The fundamental problem is in advanced countries like Australia, employers are walking away from training. They're, They're talking a lot more about training. They're talking a lot more about skills. But when you look at the average hours of training uh, per year, that's been in secular decline for about 30 years. So if we really want to revitalize vocational education, employers have got to step up to the plate. And unless they do that, it's going to be very hard for the educators to solve the problem on their own.
2: I remember you saying that at the ILO, John, and that the employers should be footing the bill. So I think it's a very, very strong point. We're going to move now to Gavin.
3: Um, There is an analysis of TVET systems, which divides them into those that follow an employment logic and those that follow an education logic. And generally, in liberal market economies like Australia, USA, UK, Canada, TVET follows mostly an education logic, and for that reason is said to have weaker, is observed to have weaker links with employment than those systems which follow an employment logic, like continental Europe, for example. Um, However, all of those countries I have mentioned (laughs) have had as a policy goal, for the last 15 years for their TVET system to be employer-led, and it hasn't been achieved, and all it has done is diverted attention away from the role that TVET could serve to trying to plug a hole in a role that TVET can't serve. So if you want an employer-led TVET system, if you want to make the relationship between TVET and employers closer, that is not changing TVET, that is changing your industry policy, it's changing your labor market relations, and it's changing the relation between employers, the state and employees. If you want to have stronger relations between employers and TVET, you change the employers. No need to change TVET.
2: Great, Gavin. And for those who can't see Gavin like I can, he was very animated in that presentation. Uh Uh, And I would like to add that you must go to ISSU and read Lisa and Gavin's report on TVET and social justice to get the insight into what those countries are actually telling us. That's just a plug for AI, Steph. Now we're gonna pass to you.
4: Yeah, I I completely agree with um, what what John and Gavin said. I would like to add something more um, specific, which is that in terms of the link between education and work, in terms of preparation for work and in terms of the educational value of vocational education, we, we need vocational education that is conceptually structured and gives students access to bodies of knowledge. Um, which is a conception of vocational education that is radically different from narrow training for specific tasks. But it's also a conception of vocational education which will um, lead to better linkages with workplaces and better linkages, better ability to perform in the workplace. So in other words, education as preparation for occupations needs curricula that prepare for broad occupational roles and foregrounds theoretical knowledge, applied knowledge, and practical knowledge, um, as opposed to foregrounding only learning from experience and, um, and, and, and narrow tasks. But this obviously is premised on the idea that there is specialised work that requires specialised education. And that really goes back to the points that John and Gavin were raising, that the key issue is not... um, Many many of the problems which need to be resolved really need to be resolved in the labour market and in the workplace.
2: Great. Thanks, Steph. And I love that conceptually structured. You've certainly taken us to another level, at which point I'm gonna pass to you, Lisa.
0: So I think that just building on what uh, my colleagues have said, that the the notion in countries like Australia, Canada, UK, South Africa, um, the US, where um, we have very loose links between vocational education and, and the labour market policy, nonetheless, wants to screw down Uh, vocational education more tightly Um, the vocational education is blamed for these loose connections when as everyone's pointed out it's actually the links it's actually the structures of the labor market that um, conditions the nature of demand for vocational education graduates and so so the emphasis in policy in these countries is to screw qualifications down even tighter to more narrow um, conceptions of what their job should be and focus in the end on specific workplace tasks and roles. Um, And that, that, it's stupid in its own terms because students actually don't end up working in those jobs. Um, They work in other jobs uh, for the large part. And secondly, it's stupid for the reasons that Steph outlined, which is that they don't get access to the broad underpinning conceptual knowledge that they need in order to be effective um, at work, but, but more broadly. So what should the, what role should TVET play? Um, we think that it, we should conceptualize TVET as having three roles. Um, and what, the first is to prepare people for entry to and progression in the labor market in a, in a broad field of practice with the knowledge and skills they need um, to be effective um, and to progress the second is to prepare them to undertake further study in the same or a related field and the third is to prepare them for citizenship both as citizens in their occupation so that they can contribute to shaping the future of that occupation but also as citizens in society more broadly.
2: Great thanks Lisa what a powerful finish so we know that TVET has much to do and this question is going to turn us round to actually how it is delivered and we're going to come back to you Lisa to kick this one off and that is how do strong TVET institutions and qualified teachers support this transition and again this is something that came up in many of the CIS panels. Lisa?
0: So if we regard a TVET institution um, not as a provider in a market but as a strong anchor institution in the a community that's properly resourced, then those institutions are able to work with their communities and regions in understanding what is needed to support economic, social and cultural development in those regions. So, so the first point is it requires strong institutions um, that can that can play that role in their local communities. And they do do that actually, it's just not visible. Um, it's, and it's, it's never included in funding formulas. And with teachers, we need to um, support teachers to become uh, dual professionals, that is expert teachers, and experts in their field of practice. And the idea that, you know, all you've got to do to be able to teach in TVET is rock up on the day. Um, That's that's an idea that we've really got to um, do away with because teachers need proper access to qualifications that will enable them to learn how to teach. TVET includes a more diverse range of students than any other sector, including the most disadvantaged and vulnerable students. And teachers need to learn um, and have access to the theoretical and practical knowledge that underpins teaching and not just their field of practice so that notion of teachers as dual professionals is crucial but so too is the notion of strong t institutions that can support their professional development and that can participate in their regions
2: thanks lisa we're going to move to you now john Mm -hmm. strong institutions and qualified teachers and you did put a challenge at the CIS panel to educators to do more. So if you'd like to elucidate that a little in your answer, that would be great.
5: Sure. Well, um, I've worked with a group of people that have been looking at the future of vocational education in Wales. And the question we were posed was how, if at all, can vocational education help with boosting labor demand? Uh, TVET's often regarded as something that just affects the supply side. And in thinking about the future, we said um, TVET can't do much about boosting demand, but it can actually be a platform that can enable other parties to come together to do something about boosting labour demand. And and boosting labour demand is important. Most of the problems in the labour market arise from the scarcity of jobs. There just aren't enough jobs out there for the people who want them. Uh, TVET institutions can't overcome that problem, but they can play two really important roles in labor demand. They can shape it. Uh, So as technological change comes through, choices emerge. The technology can help uh, create new and more interesting jobs, or it can entrench labor market fragmentation. And we've been here before. If you look at uh, the rise of the skilled engineering trades in the late 19th century and early 20th century, In places like the U.S., they destroyed their apprenticeship system and embedded the skills in uh, internal labour markets within companies. Places like Germany and Australia uh, had uh, coherent occupational structures. And we have a similar challenge today. We've got um, AI-based automation coming through. That can be used to enhance uh, rounded jobs or it can be used to break jobs down. And the American model of breaking jobs down is uh, the one that's getting ascendancy, but there is a, a choice. We can actually use that to augment new occupational structures. That's the first thing TVEC can do. The second thing it can do is work in concert with other government agencies to help build local economic development. And in, when we were looking at Wales, um, we actually said you should learn from the agricultural sector, Agriculture has a long tradition of extension services. In a a nutshell, this is where all the farmers in a district get together, pool their resources, and build up a research and development capability which allows them to build up competitive advantage. TVEC could extend that idea to areas beyond agriculture. So we looked at the area of work, for example, and we thought you could basically have the vocational institutions become a platform for bringing together the progressive employers in a district and share good practice, and in that way uh, allow the the good employers to expand and in that way draw labour demand in, and also provide a focal point for um, progressive procurement policies. Currently, governments are not very effective and strategic in the way they use their procurement policies. Vocational education institutions could build up a capability of playing a brokerage role in being um, currently dispersed public sector funds together around progressive employers to boost labour demand. I know that's a long answer, but if people want to look at it, they can read our report on it all. And that's what we said for the Welsh. They've got an advanced FE sector but they've got to think more ambitiously about how they can use their infrastructure to create a platform for transforming labor demand.
2: So I love it, John, South Wales to Wales and back again. So we really have um, squared the circle with that one. And we're also having Lisa's strong institutions as hubs for progressive employers in the district. I like that idea.
4: Steph, yeah, I I love both of those ideas. I'll just make one um, small addition, which is that um, many students, and particularly poor students, are not well-networked in labor markets. And there's so much research which shows that it's networks in labor markets that really helps people to land jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think that... If, if TBIT institutions were built and supported, particularly in the ways that Lisa and John have mentioned, um, making sure that teachers are very um, active in, um, in their vocational field as well as in the teaching and working with employers um, and, and government in the ways that John has mentioned, um i think that t vet institutions could play a really important role as labor market intermediaries and some many of them do play this role sometimes even really weak ones where the actual substance of the training is viewed as not that strong in terms of preparation for work employers still rely on them as as a a vehicle for actually finding students. We found this in some countries in the Caribbean, for example, in our research. So I think that it's a really important role that could be cultivated and built in TBED institutions. And if you look at the professions, it's definitely a role that educational institutions play, partly because um, of the strong role of professional bodies and occupational communities that are active in in both um, sides of, of their work um, life, as Lisa was, was arguing for, for vocational educators.
2: Thanks, Steph. And Gavin, you get to round up this one.
4: Thank you. I think it's
3: worth making an explicit, a point which all of the speakers have so far assumed, and that is that TVET colleges or more precisely TVET campuses are deeply embedded in their own community. There has been a move amongst uh, some governments in the last 10 years to amalgamate campuses into bigger uh, colleges with a regional role, first to try uh, to achieve economies of scale, And secondly, to transfer from government to colleges the task of administering budget cuts. Well, that uh, threatens a deep compromise of the role of TVET unless the campuses in any amalgamated institution, or unless the TVET college is closely related to their own social community, their employers, and their colleague educational institutions.
2: Great, thanks Gavin. And that's about all we have time for today, but I have one more question. Um, We'll get to productive capabilities another day, which Lisa knows is my favourite. But my final question is always personal in one of our podcasts. And I'm going to start with you, Steph. And the question is, if TVET were an animal, what animal would it be? Steph.
4: (laughs) Wow. That's a tricky one. Well, um... I think I would say my favorite African animal, which is the warthog, which is um, very undervalued. People tend to think that it's a small animal, but it's incredibly strong. Um, It's deceptive from its appearance um, in terms of its its behavior. Um, It's very uh, focused, very social. Very dynamic in terms of getting what it, what it needs. Um, you can see warthogs literally on their, on their knees when they're um, looking for a good feed. Uh, fast and nimble, although they look like clumsy animals. Um, and although some people think they're ugly, I think they're absolutely gorgeous.
2: I love it, Steph. Really good opening there. Gavin, if T-Vet were an animal, what animal would it be?
3: If it were... An Australian, if it were an animal in Australia, it would be a starving, lost, stray dog. (laughs) Neglected, mangy, and on the brink of death. But in Canada, T-Vet is a loved, lovable, plump raccoon.
2: Love it, Gavin. You get too squeezed in there. Lisa, if t were an animal, what animal would it be?
0: I'm ha- having a hard time choosing between a chameleon. That is, it can change its colours and spots and um, d- depending on what the situation requires. And a Rottweiler, um, you know, where it, um, you know, full, full of tenacity and um, prepared to snap back at those that dare to have a go at it.
2: Thanks, Lisa. And John, you get the last word. If TVAT were an animal, what animal would it be?
5: Well, I think we've got to you know, follow Gavin's lead here and segment it worldwide. I mean, if you took a Northern European perspective, it's a, a lean and very attractive German shepherd. And uh, that, that really does, you know, uh, is intelligent and responsive and adaptable. And if you're in the English-speaking world, it's, it's an animal that doesn't exist. It's a Frankenstein. It's been chopped and changed and reassembled and arbitrarily put together. So it's got great promise. You know, everyone would love to have a German Shepherd, but in the English speaking world, uh, particularly in places like Australia, we're stuck with Frankensteins.
2: I love it. Thanks, John. And
5: thanks to all our
2: academics for their insights and their thoughtfulness and their incredible exploration of the world of TVET. Thanks for coming along. We really appreciate it.
4: To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word, and please give us a review on iTunes.